You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Not exactly the Thanksgiving Day plans dozens of people in Burnaby and New Westminster had in mind today. Spending the day filing claims and getting new tires after someone went on a rampage in the area. Grace Key has more on where it happened and the extent of the damage. My wife is going to the hospital and now I have to change the tire and we have a little one at home. It's a day set aside to give thanks and spend with loved ones. But this is how dozens of Burnaby and New Westminster residents started their Thanksgiving day. Most bodies on the flat. Car after car. One, two, three. All along the Burnaby New Westminster border, someone went on a rampage, slashing dozens of tires. At least 40 in Burnaby and four in New Westminster so far. This morning when I went outside, I thought, okay, we got that tire, but when I you know, checked it, it looks like somebody slashed them. So, two tires and also our neighbors along the entire street. Those numbers could go up as more people discover damage to their vehicles. Police have been investigating, leaving contact information for victims. And it's Monday, so all the body shops closed. On this holiday Monday, this was not something families had time to deal with. I have to go to bring family from the ferry for the holiday. I don't know how I'm going to do it. While some families may have had to put Thanksgiving on hold, for one man, instead of anger, there was only forgiveness for the vandals who caused so much damage. We have to pray for these people because they have so much anger. I don't know why. Police have been canvassing the neighborhood looking for clues and home security video, hoping to catch the people behind all the rampage. Grace Key, Global News. The entire community of Old Fort in northern B.C. has now been ordered out one week after a slow-moving landslide cut off the only road into and out of the town. Residents told today the slide is still moving in a number of directions, making it challenging to predict when it will stop and where it will spread. Tanya Beja reports. Here's the road. Here's the ditch. All they can do is watch as the earth cracks and splits apart. Yeah, there's a nice ramp over here. Woo. Here's the worst spot. Oh, you can hear the trees cracking behind us. There's the road down there. The only road in and out of Old Fort fracturing under stress, forcing residents to flee. On advice of our geotech that they could not guarantee the safety of the residents of the Old Fort due to uh, how the slide was progressing. Um, they felt it was prudent to evacuate. A landslide hit the community south of Fort St. John one week ago. On Sunday, more than 50 homes were evacuated as surveying found the area had become too unstable. It's concerning. It's just, uh, it's uh, a little bit maddening. Old Fort residents are being housed in Fort St. John hotels and say they're struggling with the uncertainty of their situation. We're not getting the information uh, uh, as to what they're doing, the, the, what's going on with the, the hill. Is the hill safe? Is it not safe? You know, all of a sudden, and you know what we got? No, nothing. Are we going to have an alternate route when power is going to be restored? These are all uh, questions people are trying to uh, deal with and waiting for answers. 
According to the Transportation Ministry, the landslides are still too active for crews to get in and establish a new road or alternate route. In the meantime, not all residents are prepared to leave, but they could be on their own. If something does happen, it may be difficult for us to provide any help due to the uncertain nature of the ground conditions. Here's my buddy's house, still standing. But as long as the slide remains in motion, the regional district says residents may not be returning home. That's my buddy way up there. Tanya Beja, Global News. A vigil is, is being planned for a popular Surrey teacher identified as the victim of a fatal crash last week. Praise is pouring in for Saminder Singh, the man killed in a crash on 176th Street near 32nd Avenue on Friday. He was driving an SUV when it slammed into the back of a tractor trailer. Friends of Singh's, who was a math teacher at Tamanawa Secondary School, have created a GoFundMe page aiming to raise $10,000 to create a legacy award in his name. The hole that he's left behind keeps getting bigger and bigger, and uh, we try to fill it with, uh, with uh, you know, our own um, efforts and energy. Um, but um, the, the mold was broken after after Suminder, um, so it'll it'll take a thousand of us to fill the void that uh, that he's left behind, and I'm not sure that's going to be enough. Decades after its closure, survivors of the Woodlands facility are starting to receive hard-fought compensation. The school, an institution for people with disabilities, left many students scarred by abuse. Catherine Urquhart has more on what today's milestone means to survivors. I'm able to present to Bill his payment of $10,000 and thank him for his resolve in ensuring that the province would do the right thing by Woodlands survivors. Bill? For decades, Bill MacArthur and other Woodland survivors have fought for compensation. Now, that's finally happening. It's sort of a bittersweet victory because so many people were not fortunate to share the story that we are sharing today. Woodlands closed in 1996 and was later torn down. Several reports revealed there'd been widespread systemic abuse. There was uh, quite a bit of abuse and there was uh, quite a, a lot of uh, stuff that went on that should not have happened. The Liberal government at the time fought a class action lawsuit which resulted in pre-1974 survivors being denied settlements. It might have been legal but it wasn't right. Now the current NDP government is compensating those individuals. So far, 314 have received checks um, from uh, the government of $10,000. Almost all of those were there before 1974. In the next few weeks, uh, we believe several hundred more will get, will get checks, mostly from the post-1974 groups. Woodland survivors who have not come forward are encouraged to make a claim. The government has set aside more than $15 million in compensation. The sweet taste of victory is the sweetest taste of all. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. One of the coaches of the BC Lions is making an appeal and offering a reward tonight. His car was broken into over the weekend and some very valuable items stolen. Our Sarah McDonald joins us with more on the theft. This involved Jarius Jackson's vehicle, Sarah. 
That's right, Sophie, and items of his that were stolen that have little resale value to the general public, but they are crucial to the BC Lions. Those items include things like training videos used by players uh, and Jackson's passport. Now, they were taken from a team vehicle which was broken into outside a popular bar in downtown Vancouver late Saturday. This is that vehicle, a Nissan Rogue marked with the team logo. It was targeted by thieves near the intersection of Howe Street and Nelson Street as the team was celebrating its win against the Toronto Argonauts inside Doolin's Irish Pub. The team member driving that vehicle, of course, was former quarterback and current offensive coordinator Jarius Jackson. He says those items that are now missing, including his passport and his computer hard drive containing thousands of team playback and training videos, are irreplaceable. It's like your library. It's like your library that you always go back to, you pull from. Uh, to you know, like you say, each each week you have a different opponent. You know that information is not going to be important to who to who, whoever has it. But for myself, I mean, that's pretty much like the key to to you know being an offensive coordinator. Now, Jackson, who is an American citizen, would obviously like his passport back. His working permit, he tells us, was also stolen. Now, the BC Lions are offering a $1,000 cash reward for the safe return of those items. No question to ask, Sophie. And they tell us they are hoping that cash reward will help them recover those stolen items in time for their next game in Calgary against the Stampeders on Saturday. All right, let's hope they get that stuff back. Thank you, Sarah. Well, some good news for BC Rock Band 5440. Five of the seven vintage guitars that were stolen from their U-Haul on Friday are now back in their possession. Aaron MacArthur has more on where they were found and who the band is thanking tonight. After a weekend missing, some rare and irreplaceable instruments back in the hands that know them best. Seven guitars, including a pair of vintage fenders and a mandolin, were stolen from the back of a U-Haul Friday night in New Westminster. 5440 had to play a pair of shows over the weekend at the Commodore using borrowed gear. Uh, it was a scramble, and also, you know, we were sad. Finally, Monday, they got most of the instruments back. Same condition? It's looking that way, yeah. I think there was relief, a wave of relief that went right through the band and, and our crew. It's pretty good. The guitars were located after New Westminster Police received a tip that led them to a public storage locker in Surrey. From there, uh, our officers uh, were able to obtain a search warrant uh, and they executed it Sunday morning and were able to locate five of the uh, seven guitars. Two acoustic guitars are still missing. New West Police are continuing to investigate. So far, there have been no arrests. I'm thankful. Yeah. I'm thankful on Thanksgiving. The band had been offering a $5,000 reward for the return of the instruments. So far, they don't know who to give the money to. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the first wave of more than 100 cats living in deplorable conditions in a mobile home in Penticton are now up for adoption. Some of the cats ended up here at the Kelowna SPCA. 65 were surrendered to the BCSPCA almost three weeks ago when the extreme hoarding situation was first brought to light. About a week later, the owner then surrendered 46 more, bringing the total to 111. We're going to hide for a bit. Um, like I said, if you have other cats in the home, that'll be beneficial as that's what they know. They all group together in the room here and uh, maybe just a quieter setting so they know that they can uh, relax and come out and hang out with you. Many of the cats are polydactyl. 
That means they have extra toes on one or more paws. If you are not looking to adopt right now, the BCSPCA is appealing for cash donations to help with this sudden influx of animals. Oh, dear Lord, I pray for anyone that's out there. Tense moments in St. John, New Brunswick today when an explosion and fire rocked the largest oil refinery in Canada. That blast rattling homes in the area and sending flames shooting into the air. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries. Global's Callum Smith now with more on what happened and the possible source. Crews responded to the Irving Oil Refinery in St. John at roughly 10.15 Monday morning after an explosion sent the city into a scramble as flames and thick, dark smoke filled the sky. Uh, it, it was scary, of course. I mean, there was you have a 300-foot towering fireball that you're looking at, you know, with the shockwave beforehand that pretty much ripples through your, your body. Residents in the area say their homes were shook as a result of the explosion. That was scary, you know. I didn't think earthquake, I just, I just thought a car hit the house. Irving Oil says all employees and contractors have been safely accounted for, with several contractors being treated for non-life-threatening injuries. There were no fatalities. Horizon Health sent out a tweet this afternoon saying five people were being treated for injuries as a result of the explosion, but have since been released. At this point, it's still not exactly clear how the fire started. So we basically removed sulfur from diesel fuel. And that's where we, we believe is the source of the incident and fire. And of course, it's too early to determine what caused that. Crews battled the fire throughout the morning and afternoon, eventually getting the flames under control. There's a full investigation underway to determine the cause. It's Thanksgiving uh, weekend. The fact that um, no one was hurt uh, seriously or killed during this incident, I think, is, a, is something to be very thankful for. Callum Smith, Global News, St. John. Just ahead, the rocky road for a tourist attraction. The length here is 20 feet 6 inches. Why critics say this new wine trail has become a sour deal. Plus, taking the guesswork out of buying a used car when the news hour continues. Some important news and advice for anyone in the market for a used car. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea, joins us with the details. And Yeah, some important rebranding tonight. Thanks, Sophie. When it comes to a vehicle history report, the industry standard in Canada is CarProof. But at the end of October, CarProof will be officially rebranded as Carfax Canada. The change will align with U.S.-based Carfax, the sister company to CarProof. If you're in the market for a used vehicle, purchasing a vehicle history report could be money well spent. It includes the accident history of a vehicle, the registration history of a vehicle. So if the vehicle was registered out of uh, in a different province uh, or if it came up from the United States. The Vehicle Sales Authority of British Columbia says CarProof, which was developed in Canada, is viewed in the industry as a slightly superior product compared to Carfax. However, the two will merge at the end of October. It's our understanding that they will keep all the better features of CarProof, um, even though they're rebranding to the Carfax name. The VSA says one of the advantages of CarProof is that it tracks not just public data, but also pulls information from body shops, such as vehicle repairs, unfixed safety recalls, stolen vehicle status, and whether or not there's a lien on the vehicle. 
according to a study done four years ago by the Automobile Protection Association, which compared the Carfax and CarProof reports for over 100 damaged vehicles, BC had the most reliable CarProof reports. In British Columbia, it's very reliable because they have a partnership with the insurance corporation there. And their uh, reports picked up stuff that our on-site appraiser occasionally missed, like vandalism, which he wouldn't know about, but would show up in the report as a, a glass replacement. Still, some accidents can go underreported. One of the reasons is that sometimes people choose to not report an accident to their insurer, whether it's ICBC or a private insurer, because they're afraid the rates might go up. If you choose to purchase a used vehicle privately, take your time and do your homework. If you're buying privately, you need to be more vigilant, pay attention to that, because um, sometimes um, old Carfaxes, Carproofs are used um, that are missing accidents. It's also recommended you take that used car you are thinking of purchasing and getting it inspected by an independent mechanic you know and trust. And the Automobile Protection Association also recommends buying your own vehicle inspection report. The APA says it's seen situations where pages are missing from the original paperwork. But as imperfect as CarProof is, the APA also says CarProof has dramatically improved transparency in used vehicle purchases. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. A multi-million dollar road construction project in West Kelowna is under more scrutiny tonight. The project, designed to promote wine tourism, first raised eyebrows when crews began installing poles right in the middle of the sidewalks. Well, tonight, Global's Kelly Hayes explains why a city councillor is now raising safety concerns as well. It wasn't that long ago when we first told you about how the city of West Kelowna went ahead with putting power poles in the middle of the sidewalk along this multi-million dollar road project dubbed the West Side Wine Trail. Really silly. Oh, as I'm laying out my tape measure on the... Councillor Rosalind Neese has joined the chorus of critics. Aside from the poles, Neese says the road is too narrow. The length here is 20 feet 6 inches. 20 feet 6 inches is 6.58 meters not the 7.32 meters that our staff said the road width was. And their response was they included the curbs in that. As far as I know, you can't drive a car on curbs. Nice is convinced the new narrow road designed to slow down vehicles will actually become a safety hazard in the winter. I, I see cars slipping. I, I've slipped myself. This Boucherie Road resident agrees that the new road will be challenging in the winter because it's going to be narrower. Oh, I'm not sure. Right now there's nowhere to go except into incoming traffic. Stop, just straight up here. In the end, Councillor Nee says someone should be held accountable for the mistake. She says the city needs to hire someone who can oversee less experienced staff so these type of mistakes don't happen again. She's also calling out her fellow councillors who voted in favour of the project. She was the only one who voted against it. Six of the seven of us approved this project and in some regard, those six people do have some accountability at the end of the day. They should have done their homework and looked at this and not just taken it um, verbatim that this is what we were going to get. Kelly Hayes, Global News, West Kelowna. Crews are trying to contain a major oil spill after two ships collided in the Mediterranean Sea off the French island of Corsica. No one was injured when a Tunisian cargo ship T-boned a Cypriot container ship, but the spill is extending for several kilometers from the site of the collision. 
Investigators still don't know what caused the crash of a limousine that killed 20 people and devastated a small town in New York. But the state's governor is now saying the stretch SUV shouldn't have been on the road in the first place. On a quiet country road in upstate New York, a gut-wrenching tragedy. 20 fatalities is just horrific. The horror transmitted in the voices of emergency responders first on the scene. The question everyone here is asking, how did an SUV limousine headed to a birthday party on Saturday plow through this intersection, taking the lives of 20 people? 18 of the victims were... Uh, in the limousine, including the driver. Witnesses say the van came tearing right down that road and blew through that stop sign. There are no skid marks to be seen here on the driveway. He tore right through the Apple Barrel Cafe's driveway, hitting and killing two pedestrians here before careening right into the ravine. I wanted to see it and I wanted to say goodbye to them. Barbara Douglas lost four of her nieces in the crash, all sisters. She says three of their husbands were also killed. One of the sisters, Amy Steenberg, seen here at her wedding last June. Her husband, Axel, rented the limo for her 30th birthday party. They did the responsible thing, getting a limo so they wouldn't be driving. NTSB Chief Robert Sunwalt. This is absolutely the most deadly transportation crash or accident that we've seen in this country since 2009. 2009 was the year a Colgan air flight crashed into a house near Buffalo, killing 50. According to records obtained from the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, the limo was owned by Prestige Limousine Chauffeur Service. The company was not involved in any crashes over the last two years, but it was subject to five vehicle inspections, four of them resulting in vehicles being placed out of service. These photos from the company's website showing several SUV limos like the one involved in the crash. Now, NTSB investigators are combing through thick underbrush and examining the wreckage of this horrific crash. Among the questions, was there a mechanical failure? How were the road conditions? And questions about the driver. Distracted driving, whether he was intoxicated, whether the brakes failed, all of that's on the table? Everything is on the table. The biggest question, how did a day of happiness turn into such a heartbreaking tragedy? A case of international intrigue is further damaging China's attempts to create a new image as a modern nation governed by the rule of law. The Chinese government now saying it's investigating former Interpol president Meng Hongwei for bribery and other crimes. That statement issued after the 64-year-old disappeared while on a trip to China late last month and barely an hour after Meng's wife held a news conference begging for help. The controversy shining a light on the secretive detentions in China of both dissidents and allegedly corrupt or disloyal officials. And protesters converged today on Saudi Arabia's consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, demanding answers about the disappearance of a journalist. Jamal Khashoggi entered the consulate for paperwork to marry his Turkish fiancée. Turkish officials say he never came out. Human rights activists fear he was killed in the embassy and his body removed, possibly in pieces. The Saudis claim he left on his own. The 59-year-old contributor to the Washington Post fled Saudi Arabia amid a crackdown on people who criticized the policies of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. SpaceX lit up the night sky and social media last night with the launch in California of an Argentine satellite. Three, two, one. 
while people along the central California coast were warned, many were still caught by surprise by the rocket's multiple engine burns as it soared into the night sky. Some speculated it was a comet or even aliens. A number of people posting amazing video of the launch as seen from the ground, including a time lapse of the man-made light show as it exploded over the downtown Los Angeles skyline. Creating even more online chatter, this was the first time SpaceX landed its first stage booster back at the California launch site, the returning rocket generating some more spectacular pictures and a lot more online posts. In Health Matters tonight, while having a mammogram can be intimidating, for women who are new to Canada, it can also be confusing. And so many immigrants simply don't have one. Participation can also be difficult for women in remote areas of the province. As Global's Jennifer Palmer reports, the BC Cancer Agency is trying different methods to increase the number of women taking this life-saving test. Ling Ji makes her health a priority. Every two years, she gets a mammogram. Hi, do you have an The 50-year-old knows how important it is to screen for breast cancer. She hopes by getting one, she'll encourage some friends who are intimidated by the test. I know some friends may be they, they just uh, too shy to go, so <laughs> to take the mammogram. Only 50% of British Columbia's eligible population goes for mammograms, but one area that is too low in screening rates is that belonging to immigrants. We see that in B.C., Eastern European and Central Asian populations rank amongst the lowest at 37.9%. Those from the Philippines are in the 45.9% range. It's a test you do when you don't have symptoms. When you're, uh, when you're seemingly well, you should still go do this test that uh, a lot of women weren't aware of that and that in their home country before immigrating. There are also language and cultural barriers in settling into life in a new country. For mammography technician Andrea Bunkowski, she and co-workers have developed strategies to get women to be comfortable. We have a lot of tools that we use to be able to explain to them what we're going to be doing and um, then asking them questions about their personal health. So yes or no questions, but they can still communicate with us. In BC, there are 36 fixed centers offering mammograms and three mobile units to help boost screening numbers in remote communities. The lowest area is Northeast Vancouver Island at 41%. The highest is the Okanagan at 55 when the mobile units come, we try to uh, get the word out in the community ahead of time. One way that we reach women is through Facebook and we can do some targeted promotions. Mammograms save lives and once a woman goes, she's more likely to have another one. A mammogram is don't need the doctor uh, referral, so it's, uh, actually it's very easy to go to book appointment and uh, the time is very short. Jennifer Palma, Global News. A stray dog brings a big league soccer match to a standstill. That's right after the forecast. And just before we get to Christy, the latest major storm in the Gulf of Mexico has the Florida panhandle preparing for the worst. Hurricane Michael is battering western Cuba with heavy rain and strong winds of 120 kilometers an hour. It could be stronger by the time it hits Florida, where sandbag stations are busy with people trying to protect their homes from flooding and where gas stations have long lineups of people stocking up before the storm hits on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. All right, and meteorologist Christy Gordon has a look at Michael, a closer look at Michael and what he's doing now.
So uh, 13th named hurricane of this or storm of the season. Category one right now. Sophie, you can see it just touching onto uh, the western or eastern sections of Mexico, Cuba as well, and uh, pushing up into Florida. It is expected by tomorrow to develop into a category two and then by Wednesday, a category three. And that means sustained winds at 185 kilometers an hour. And that really will affect the Florida panhandle. But it will continue to travel north, weakening as it does, but bringing in a ton of rain to Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina, some of the major areas that have been dealing with incredible flooding in the last little while. And it could clip parts of uh, Canada, but that's still a ways off, and we'll keep you up to date on that. But uh, yes, the next two days uh, being very interesting for uh, that uh, Florida panhandle area, so we'll be tracking that closely. Meanwhile, back at home, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's been a little tough, uh, the wet weather, cool weather, but uh, Green Lake, Still looking at snow on the ground, so thanks to Patricia for that happy Thanksgiving giving image. This is the scene out there right now. Still a lot of cloud, but the worst of the rain is now over. Conditions are starting to clear out. It will take a little bit longer for those of you in the interior, though. You can see the band of moisture extending right in through the central and southern interior regions, and we are concerned about snow. Environment Canada has issued a special weather statement for the co- uh, the connector. It is just wet right now. Uh, no snow yet, but this evening, as the moisture pushes in, the temperatures will drop and we could see 15 centimeters of snow this evening and overnight. Of course, a lot of people are out on the roads uh, this evening trying to get home after their long weekend visits. Kootenai Pass, 10 centimeters. The Coquihalla Merritt to Kamloops, 5. Anywhere south of Merritt, though, we're not expecting snow on the Coquihalla. Should just be wet. All right, there's your forecast for tomorrow from Quinell down through Williams Lake. Williams Lake, sorry, you could see snow even at lower elevations and that extends into Cranbrook. Elsewhere, it really is just higher elevations that could see that snow. So some fog in the morning, Sophie. Otherwise, a beautiful day for us tomorrow. Crisp fall uh, day, and we'll see that right through until Saturday. And I'll leave you with exactly that. A beautiful crisp fall day from Hope. Thanks to Gordon for that one. Great colors of those leaves. Thank you very much, Christy. A National Soccer League match in the country of Georgia came to a screeching halt when the field was invaded by a stray dog who just wanted to play. His tail wagging happily, the dog runs away from everyone who tries to corral it. A goaltender manages to stop the dog by giving it exactly what it wants, just someone to play with. Unfortunately, a couple of security guards who clearly know nothing about dogs then try to pick it up by its front legs, but it runs off again. It managed to get away. Finally, after about three minutes, another player was able to coax it off the field. It up by the front legs. That's not good. No, <laughs> and the dog made the, those guys aware of that. Yeah. So, so years ago, when the kingdom was still around, a cat got on the field in a Mariners game. You probably see this in YouTube, and the guy tries to pick up the cat. Oh no. Oh yeah, he was very unhappy about that idea. <laughs> He'll never do that again. He'll never do that again. Yeah, cats are. They let you know. They do let they let him know. That's for sure. Uh, happy Thanksgiving yes, happy to both of you guys. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Chris is off today, but he was busy this morning uh, with some familiar faces. They were among more than 100 volunteers who served up the Union Gospel Mission's annual Thanksgiving dinner today. Turkey up, Chris. Andrea and Sonia Deal helping dish out 2,200 pounds of turkey and all the fixings. They didn't have to do all 2,200 pounds, but they did quite a bit of it. UGM says this is not just about the hot meal, it's about long-term help.
really important, though. It gets people in the door who um, will be able to connect with long-term programs that might change their life. Shelter, recovery, housing. These types of things are available when people come in and they feel like they can trust us. When we build that with a meal, then that opens the door to transformation in their life. Man, I just, I can almost smell the turkey dinner through the TV. <laughs> oh, wait, that might be for my room. Really? Did you bring turkey leftovers? I brought leftovers, yes. Nice. The whole station kind of smells like turkey because of all the leftovers mm. being microwaved. Well, good for them, and happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Elias, Elias. Elias. However you say it. His father calls him Elias. Elias. Gonna, um, you got to go with what Dad says. What Dad says goes, yes. Elias. After all, he named him along with his mother. Elias Pettersson, or Pettersson, if you want to be very <laughs> Swedish. Uh, well done. And he has been as good as... We thought he would be, and the Canucks defense has been as bad as we thought it would be. But I don't just mean the blue liners. Overall team defense was especially ugly in that game against Calgary on Saturday, and the top line guys' stats right now are not very good because of it. Bo Horvat's a minus five, Brock Besser minus four. From a distance, Brock Besser does not look 100% right now. Uh, they moved Brendan Leipzig up to the top line at practice today. They moved Berrichie down. The Canucks are in Carolina tomorrow. Uh, afternoon hockey with Jack Eichel and the Sabres hosting the Vegas Golden Knights. But Eichel was unstoppable. One-timer. Beats Mark andre Fleury. Never leave this kid all by himself, Vegas. Too many defense in the corner. Nobody in front. Fleury gets beat 4-2 final. Buffalo over Vegas. Well, to make the playoffs, all the BC Lions have to do is finish fourth in the West. Whoever finishes fourth gets to move over to the Eastern Conference playoffs because Toronto and Montreal's records are going to be worse. That provides the crossover opportunity. BC would move into fourth today if Saskatchewan beat Edmonton. Not a lot of scoring in this game, but those wearing green, and that's pretty much everybody in the crowd, did see a win. Oh, that ball is picked off. Boy, the uh, Eskimos have been terrible on the road. Willard Jefferson with the touchdown. And the Eskimos lose to Saskatchewan 19-12. So that's a big win because the Lions are now technically fourth in the West. A little afternoon baseball, playoff style. First of all, Cleveland trying to stay alive against the Astros with the defending champs, played like defending champs. Marwin Gonzalez scores two right here to make it 4-2 in the seventh. And Carlos Correa with a couple of on, a couple on make that. Goes deep, over the wall. That's it for Cleveland. Houston on to the National League Championship Series. Would they or make that the American League Championship? Got him set up for it. Just on another one. Dodgers, Braves, Manny Machado, who was traded to LA in July for five players, helps pay that off with that home run. 6-2 final, Dodgers play Brewers. And the NLCS, that will start Friday. If you've been to Rogers Arena or outside of Rogers Arena, you will have seen the work of Norm Williams, the statues of Pat Quinn and Roger Nielsen. He did those. And now he's working on another legendary figure, former world's strongest man, Doug Hepburn. I, I'm very detail-oriented, and uh, right now he's, he's, he looks fairly generic, you know, a big, a big guy weightlifting. But by the time I'm finished, everything will be included, including the way he ties his shoes and everything else will be over. Norm Williams' latest project is immortalizing the feats and strength of former World's Strongest Man, Doug Hepburn. 
Hepburn, one of Canada's greatest athletes, and his statue is one of numerous offerings from the creative hands of a man commissioned to recreate the likenesses of Roger Nielsen and Pat Quinn. For Norm, it's a responsibility that goes well beyond artistic expression. You scrape away a piece of clay, the thickness of a piece of paper, and especially on the face, and it, it could mean the difference in an expression or the difference in a facial look. It's attention to detail Norm began honing in art school, but skills that were apparent much, much earlier. Norm wasn't even in grade school when his grandmother had to console a young boy that was distraught over his first attempt at creating art. I had a drawing um, of, a, uh, of a cowboy on a horse, and she said, well, she said, that looks really good. Why are you crying? It wasn't a stick man either. It really wasn't. I mean, I, I look at it now and I shake my head. But she said, I said, apparently I said, the horse looks like it's floating instead of galloping. I can't get it to look like it's galloping. And I was four years old. Be it Yankees greats like Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, or just the average person, Williams takes great pride in bronzing in who that person truly was. No detail is too small, including things you and I would never even think about noticing. And he kind of chewed the inside of his lip all the time. So I, I kind of made that lip one side a little bit bigger. I couldn't get any pictures of Nielsen's feet. I thought, what kind of shoes would he wear? That, he's kind of more a hush puppy kind of guy. Somebody came up to me at the unveiling. She said, uh, Roger was a friend of mine for 30 years. And I said, oh, did I get him right? And she says, yeah, right down to the hush puppies. She said, everybody asked me which was my favorite piece. And I said, oh, without a doubt, the next one. <laughs> BC teams won four national soccer titles today. Surrey Hurricanes took the Challenge Trophy, Coquitlam Metro Ford. Uh, the boys under 17, Coastal FC, the girls under 17, and Mountain United, the girls under 15. For Breeze, All right. who has and Looking to become the all-time leading passer in NFL history. And he does it on this play to Traquan Smith. That's the way to do it. He passed tonight Brett Favre and Peyton Manning. And Drew Brees is now number one when it comes to throwing a football down south. There you go. Well, did you see what happened this week? This way. With yes, us. that thing right yeah. there. <laughs> that piece of art this weekend. World-renowned street artist Banksy pulled off one of the greatest pranks in art world history. Seconds after that piece, one of his most iconic works sold for close to $1.4 million. The painting fell from the frame. I'm going to get out of the way here so you can see it better and began to self-destruct. Tonight, we're learning more about how he did it. Here's the auctioneer as bids come in for Banksy's famous girl with balloon. It sells for over a million dollars. And then as the people in the room try to take in what's happening, the painting drops down through a shredder in the frame and by the time it's taken away, much of it is in ribbons. Banksy himself posted this video, which includes footage of someone, presumably him, installing the shredder. Years ago, says the video, in case the piece was ever put up for auction. Banksy's art is essentially two things. It's a graphic sort of poster propaganda art and a performance. Instead of being cut out of or painted over on a building side, it destroyed itself. 
Banksy, who keeps his identity a secret, is famously irreverent. Graffiti is a crime, so nation, call the police if you see this man. (laughs) He started out part of the counterculture, but his stenciled street art laced with edgy humor soon attracted attention and rich collectors. These famous auction houses, all of a sudden they were selling street art and everything was going a bit crazy and suddenly it all become about the money, but it never was about the money. But in the art world, it is inevitably about money. And when you're as famous as Banksy, even acts of destruction make a profit. This piece that has been shredded is so singular and different and newsworthy. The market is speculating that it's worth 50% more. The art world is also abuzz with speculation, calling out Sotheby's. Some say they must have known something was up because the frame, you'd think, would have been heavy because of the shredder. Sotheby's denies knowing anything about it. They only say they were Banksy'd. And somebody had to be in on it there to start that. I read in one of the articles online that there was a guy spotted who had a remote control, security escorted him out, but I'm not sure why they wouldn't have kept him.